Spring Church. It's an honor and a privilege to be here, and I I always look forward to uh, speaking here in the church because I feel that the Lord, when we accept responsibilities in the church, I think the Lord blesses us, or when we extend a hand to help someone else, whatever we do to help others, the Lord will bless us. So I think I probably get more out of this than you do, and uh, I'm grateful to be here. Now, what the title of my sermon is The Advantages of Being a Christian. And there's a number of reasons I want to give this sermon. First of all, I've noticed that there are a lot of discouraged people in our times. In fact, I would venture, having been worked in healthcare for over 30 years, that what people need more than anything is encouragement. They need hope and encouragement. And so we should always seize any opportunity we can to encourage those around us. So I'd like to tell you today some of the reasons, some of the advantages that I found for being a Christian. And there's biblical grounds for doing, doing this. In 1 Peter 3.15 it says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, to give the reasons for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, when we tell of the advantage of being a Christian, it's not that beneficial to tell the other person what's wrong with them, what they're doing wrong. Um, rather, we should try to try to tell our advantages. Now, there are many skeptics. I was reading in, I think, CNN the other day, there was some writer who said that religion was the cause, has been the cause of all a man's problems for the last 2,000 years. So there are a lot of people that are very skeptical about religion, but I think it was Solzhenitsyn, the Russian writer, he won a Nobel Prize in Literature some probably 40 years ago for writing a book, Gulag Archipelago, about the Russian. Actually, it's in two volumes. Each volume is about, I don't know, a thousand pages long. Typical Russian novel, except this was not a novel, it was a report. And um, he spent many years in the prisons of Russia, and he wrote stories about it. But he he... After he got out of the prisons, he became a Christian. He started out as a communist, but he became a Christian. And he was being interviewed by some British reporters. And the reporters said that Christianity was responsible for the Dark Ages and all sorts of other problems that arose. And he pointed out that there might have been, at most, a million probably much less than that, but up to a million, depending which historian, who perished during the Middle Ages under the Inquisitions. This is the numbers are probably, in reality, closer to 100,000 people. He says, however, on the other hand, if you look at communism, Tolstoy predicted, should socialism take over Russia, 200 million people would perish. And if you look at the losses that the Soviet Union experienced, uh, they were right around 200 million people over the last 100 years, if you include uh, Eastern Europe in there. 
because actually uh, Nazism was a form of socialism, government control of everything. So socialism has far outstripped by a factor of at least 200 the amount of damage it's done. So I think that, that the atheists have some grounds for being cautious. Now I sat down with my wife last night and I've, this week I've been asking everybody, what are the advantages of being a Christian? And I asked some of my, some of the teachers I work with. And um, I talked to one teacher and she said, well, the advantage of being a Christian is you meet nice people. I met my husband in church. So she was very strong supporter of attending church and having her children attend. But I asked my wife also, and she gave me 17 reasons why it's advantageous to be a Christian. And I could not possibly elucidate or go over all these reasons. So I'm going to try to see if I can get through two or three today. But there's at least eight more sermons that we could talk about this. And <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to either have to talk really fast or we're going to have to divide this up into a number of sermons. But the first one that she said, and I thought it was really profound, is that when you are a Christian, you are not alone. And I was kind of stunned by that when she said it. I thought, yeah, you know, it's, it's really true. We're not alone. We, we have, for example, the promise of the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. And I think that's an incredible blessing to be able to be guided by the Holy Spirit. I, uh, I mean, I feel like, especially when you work, work is always difficult, and I'm always praying for wisdom to know what to do. And this week at work, I, well, there was a group of students from Sacramento who were touring the dental school. They, they go to a college up there, and they have a pre-dental club, and there were about a, over a dozen, maybe 15 students from this, this college had come down, and they were walking around the school, they are getting a tour, and I saw them, and I stopped them, and I started telling them stories of the miracles that God has worked in our lives. And I've told you some of these miracles, um, but I, I, for them, I told stories about how God has helped me to diagnose sickness in people, and he'll show me exactly what to do and how to do it. For example, yesterday, I was talking to the department chairman of the Department of Periodontics that deals with gum disease. And I mentioned to him that when I was working on HIV patients, they have a disease called linear gingival erythemia. It's a form of gingivitis where your gums get red and swollen. And no matter what the doctor does, it doesn't the dentist does, it doesn't go away. So they have a disease called linear gingival erythemia and it, it resists all treatment. But I've see, I see a lot of HIV patients and I found that if I give anesthesia and I go under the gums and I clean really thoroughly, and which is normally you don't do for gingivitis, you just do a, a superficial cleaning to take care of gingivitis. But if I treat it like it's a, um, a bone disease, I go down deep and clean it, this will disappear in 20 minutes. And it astonished me when I noticed this. And 
I talked to the department chairman and I said, have you ever seen anything like this? And he goes, no, I've never heard of such a thing. And he goes, but let me think about it and I'll get back to you next week. I think maybe we need to research this a little bit more. This might be worth doing a, a research project on. And I feel like the Lord guided me to think, well, how can I do this? What can I do that we haven't tried before? And there isn't a week that goes by when I feel when I'm practicing, the Lord doesn't show me to do something that I've never done before. And the students ask me, where did you learn how to do this? When, when did you first do this? And I said, well, I learned to do it today. This is the first time we've ever done this procedure. And they kind of looked at me like, what? <laughs> so anyway, I feel like the Lord blesses, blesses me in, in our profession. Now, I am, I am really, so I am really grateful for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of facets to the idea that God is with you, that he's watching over you, and including the Holy Spirit. Now, do any of you remember the story in the Old Testament about Joshua when he was, the Gibeonites were being attacked and they called to him and said, come and help us. We're being overrun. The kings of the north are, have come down and they're going to overrun us. So what did Joshua do? This, he was about 40 miles away from these people that were asking for help. And they expected to be attacked in the morning. He gets this note in the afternoon. So what does he do? He takes the entire army and he marches all night long to get there to help these people. And when he gets there, he routes them and chases them all the way up to Damascus. But he's still chasing them and he prays, Lord, extend the day, stop the sun so that we have more daylight to trace these people. Now, a lot of people read these stories and they say, well, you know, that's just a fairy tale because the sun doesn't stop in its motion around the earth. Uh, and, you know, I've read that story and I kind of going, how on earth did or how in heaven did the Lord do this, you know, to stop this? And is and you wonder, are there any re other reports in history of the sun standing still? Now, I was researching this this morning, and there was a French scholar, Ferdinand Crombert, Crombet, C-R-O-M-B-E-T-T-E, and he translated Egyptian hieroglyphics that were s some 3,500 years old and listen to what, what it says about the sun standing still. Now, before I get into the story, I want to ask you a question. Um, this is kind of a science question, but do any of you know what causes the tides to rise and fall? The moon, right. And so, so what happens? Why, does the, why do the tides rise? Because the gravity how does it explain it, Daniel? Right. The, it's the gravity, the gravity of the moon pulls the water towards the moon. So the water is always, always moving towards the moon. So the tides kind of 
keep rolling around the earth as the moon goes around the earth. It's actually the earth rotating, but it's easier to think about the moon going around the earth. So anyway, the moon causes the tides. Okay, now, listen to this story. From the Egyptian account, we find that the French classical scholar Ferdinand Crombet translated some Egyptian hieroglyphics which tell of Joshua's long day. The text starts out with an edict from the king to exempt from taxation those who had been victims of a tidal flood some two weeks earlier. Evidently, the flood had caused the flood had been caused by an unusually high tide. The cause, according to the Egyptian hieroglyphics, was this. The sun was thrown into confusion, and the sun remained low on the horizon for most of the day, and by not rising had spread terror amongst the great men of Egypt. Two days had been rolled into one. The morning was lengthened to one and a half times the normal period of effective daylight. A certain time after this divine phenomenon, the masters of religion built an image to pray to to prevent further misfortune for the country. So they erected a new god that they were praying to, to pray to this new god that it would stop, it would, would, the sun would start moving again. And apparently this new god was called Hephatiosos. I can't really pronounce it, but he says, Hephatiosos, grant protection to your worshipers. Prevent the words of these foreign travelers from having any effect. They are imposters. Now, who's he talking about here? Let the enemies, let these enemies of the sacrifices to the images be destroyed in the temple of the great gods by the people of all classes. Now, listen to this next sentence. It says, make life harder for these cursed worshipers of the eternal. Now, who were the worshipers of the eternal, the eternal God? The Israelites were. Punish them. Increase the hardships on these shepherds. What were the people of Israel when they were in Egypt? They were shepherds. Reduce the size of their herds. Burn their dwellings. Ramesses, another, I think he was one of the kings, early kings. Ramesses, our celestial ancestral chief. You who force these wretched people to work. Who ill-treated them, who gave them no help when they were in need. Cast them all into the sea. They made the moon stop in a small angle at the edge of the horizon. Instead of crossing the sky, it stayed where it was. Whilst, I'm sorry, I, I skipped a line here. They made the moon stop in a small angle at the, at the edge of the horizon. In a small angle on the edge of the horizon, the sun itself, which had just risen at the spot 
where the moon was going, instead of crossing the sky, stayed where it was, whilst the moon, following a narrow path, reduced its speed and climbed slowly. Now, what's happening here? It says the moon was still moving, but it was moving very slowly, but the sun stopped. Think about the earth is rotating. The sun's out there, and the earth is rotating, and the moon is going around the earth. How long does it take the moon to go around the earth? 28 days, okay? So, imagine for a moment that the earth stops rotating. The sun is going to look like it's standing still, but the moon is still going slowly around the earth. So, this fits the description of the earth actually stopped rotating. The, earth, the sun looked like it was standing still, but the moon was moving very slowly around the earth, okay? So it fits the concept that the earth actually stopped rotating. All right. Okay. Whilst the moon, following a narrow path, reduced its speed and climbed very slowly, but the sun stopped moving entirely, and its intensity was reduced to, br to the brightness of daybreak. Now think about this for a minute. If the sun, if the earth stopped rotating and the sun was beaming down on the earth and it did, it stayed out for another 24 hours, what do you think the temperature would be in Egypt and in Sinai? It would get really hot. I mean, it already goes up to 100 degrees during the day and it might have gone up to 125, 130. It would have cooked everybody. So it says here that the intensity of the sun diminished. So the Lord apparently somehow, either by putting a cloud cover up or doing something, he decreased the intensity of the sun so it wouldn't burn anybody. It's like the Lord is being very thoughtful here. He didn't want everybody to fry to a crisp. Okay. The sun's... Rodney. So in other words, they, okay, all right, interesting. Okay, let me start again. Whilst the moon followed a nor, uh, narrow path, reduces speed and climbs slowly, the sun stopped altogether and the intensity of light was reduced to the brightness of daybreak. Now listen to this part about the tide. The waves formed a wall of water against the boats that were in the harbor and against those that were trying to leave the harbor. Those fishermen that had ventured onto the deck of their boats to watch this phenomena were washed into the sea. So this tidal wave came up and swept them, knocked the boats over and, and drowned the sailors. The tide, which had risen high, overflowed into the plains of Egypt where the herds were gazing, grazing. The cattle drowned representing the cattle that drowned represented half the herds of lower Egypt. So it must have been a pretty big flood. The remains 
of the abandoned boats broke against the sides of the canals and were piled up in places. Their anchors, which should have protected them, had been ground into them. Quite out of control, the sea had penetrated deep into the country. The expanding waters reduced the fortified walls constructed by Ramesses, the celestial ancestral chief. The sweet sea swept around both sides of the walls into the region beyond, sterilizing the gardens as it went and causing all the dikes to open up. A great country has been turned into a wilderness and brought into poverty. All the crops that had been planted have been destroyed and heaps of cereal shoots lay scattered on the ground. So that's an account of how the Lord was with the people of Israel. And it's kind of an astonishing story. And I've read uh, that there are Chinese accounts of the sun standing still too. Now it's interesting, if you look at American Indian lore, there's about half a dozen stories uh, in American Indian lore, not of the sun standing still, but the night itself going on for two days. It was dark for two days. Well, that makes sense because America's on the other side of the earth from Egypt. While it was sunny there, it would have been dark. If the sun, if the earth stopped rotating, the side closest to the sun probably would have gotten really hot and the other side would have gotten really cold. Okay. Right, or the actually the earth was not moving. The earth stopped rotating. So I think the Lord, I mean, I was thinking about this story and I said, well, the Lord must have done something, maybe put a cloud cover over to shield it. And it says here in this Egyptian account that the intensity uh, and the sun's intensity was reduced to the brightness at daybreak. In other words, the sun was less intense. So I thought that was kind of a fascinating story. But it's kind of a story about how the Lord was with the people of Israel. Were you able to hear any of that? Were you able to hear any of the story at all? A little bit. A little bit. Okay, good. Okay. Okay. Now... So we are not alone, and the Lord is with us, and that's what really gives me hope. Sometimes I wake up in the morning, and I start, I think about all the problems that are going on, and I start getting depressed. I thought, there's no way I can solve these problems. Some of them are really monumental. I mean, uh, we... One of the best ways to make problems for yourself is to try to help other people. And when you do that, now sometimes they're grateful and sometimes they're not. We were trying to help someone recently who's been doing everything to make that difficult and by doing absolutely nothing. And we finally decided enough was enough and we decided we can't go on enabling them in their negligence. And 
we were told that we had ruined their life and uh, destroyed them and their family and just, you know, so when you go to help people, it can get, things can get really difficult. And so sometimes when I have problems like that, um, actually I had, I, I found that I don't receive a blessing unless I'm trying to help somebody else. And the best way for me to receive a blessing is, so I'm, I look for ways to try to help other people. And sometimes I do things that I shouldn't do, like become treasurer or some other things. Like, and I get into trouble because I don't know what I'm doing. But, you know, I hope you'll all forgive me. But so it's a good idea to try to be helpful. And usually the Lord will show us what to do and how to do it. And it's a, it's a wonderful blessing. But you also can get in a lot of trouble for doing that. But the Lord still guides us through. Now, I want to... I wanna elaborate on the idea that the Lord is with us. And I'm going to read out of Deuteronomy 31. There's a couple of verses here, verse 6 and 8. It says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of your enemies. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Now that's really an encouragement to me. A couple of verses later it says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So we need to remember when we're going through trials, when our enemies have surrounded us, that we should not be discouraged. We should be hopeful that the Lord will be with us. Because I know that uh, today, as Rodney pointed out, that there are people that are, a lot of people looking for jobs. Uh, I think there's something like, I don't know, 80 million people in the United States looking for jobs or who are only working part-time. The government doesn't even count you as unemployed if you've been unemployed more than, what, three months or something like that. You're not unemployed. You're just uh, not part of the workforce. So when they say there's 5% unemployment, that's, it's really about two times higher than that. Anyway, in, jo in the book of Joshua, it says, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I feel like the Lord is with me constantly when I'm at work. This week I got three either text messages or notes from students thanking me for helping them with problems they're facing. And I, I'm kind of surprised that, that I get these notes. Mal and I have a collection at home of letters that we've received from people thanking us for their help. Mala kind of adopted this 14-year-old young man when we were in, in St. Vincent and the Grenadines working as missionaries. Actually, the mother came to us and said, my son is sitting at home. He doesn't know what to do. I'm afraid he's going to get in trouble because all his friends are in trouble. Can you do anything to help him? So Mala said, why don't you come down and you can work in the clinic as a dental assistant and we'll train you. And So he came and he was kind of this lost sheep. He didn't know what to do. Or, and 
we spent a lot of time, especially Mala did, and trained him how to sterilize instruments, how to um, be a dental assistant, how to run the x-ray machines. She trained him to do all these things. And he used to eat lunch with us every day, and he'd come over sometimes on the weekends. And he would had a thousand questions. And, and Mala would try answering all of his questions. And finally, he decided that, you know, when he got a little older, it was time for him to go to school and do something. And there weren't really any schools in St. Vincent. It was a very small island. So he found a really cheap school in Canada, a flight school. And for I think for like $7,000, he got a commercial pilot's license. It was called Harvey's Air College. They had one Cessna 150. It was in northern Canada. They only operated in the summer. And he went there. He had to go there two summers. And he finally got his commercial license. And then he got a job working as a pilot. And he's still working as a, a commercial pilot today. He got a commercial license. So that's kind of an example of, of going. Mala likes to go out of her way to help. I mean, she's on the phone about at least two hours a day trying to help somebody, do something for somebody. Um, it, I, I'm kind of astonished. I would be exhausted by all of that, but somehow she gets, you're not tired, are you? <laughs> so, and he wrote us, after he graduated from flight school, he wrote us this, I think it was like a two-page letter thanking us for all the help that we'd given him and guidance and everything. And I think Mala has about, must have about two dozen letters like that that she's collected over the years from people. So she's a real angel in that she's always trying to help somebody. And I think it's a blessing too when, when you can do that. It's a wonderful blessing when you can help, especially young people get started. And she's really good at that. Now, when we, so I think both, I, from personal experience, I can say that it's, it's really good to try to be a blessing to others. Now I want to move on to the, to the next point that Mala brought up. She said, when you are a Christian, you have enormous, the enormous resources of God, of the God of heaven, at your fingertips. And that's difficult for a lot of people to believe. But I really think that we have tremendous resources that God will bless us and heal us and, and strengthen us. And I've told you the story. When I was asked to go to dental school, I said, I can't be a dentist because I have 10 thumbs. I'm not coordinated. I'm always the last one chosen to be on sports teams. Yet, after I was in school for two years, I became very well coordinated and I could actually see with my hands. I can reach into a drawer and find my car keys faster by closing my eyes than I can by looking. So the Lord, I feel he gave me the ability to use my hands. I still have some problems with them, but I feel the Lord has given me the means to overcome those obstacles. He doesn't say that you won't have any obstacles. He'll say, I'll help you to overcome. It's like the Apostle Paul. He said he had a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed about it over and over again. And the Lord's answer to him was, what did the Lord tell him? 
my strength is sufficient for you. And so even though I still have some coordination problems, um, I feel like the Lord has helped me to overcome those. And it's, it's really a blessing. So I feel like those resources are there. I mean, when I started dental school, I had no money either. I couldn't afford to go to school. And my mother had just remarried. Her husband, her new husband, had a house. She had a house. They had two houses in Chicago. Houses are kind of expensive in Chicago. And so when I got accepted, he said, look, we can only live in one house. Why don't we sell one? And then Jim can go to dental school. And that, that was a miracle. I feel that's an example of enormous resources at our disposal. And today I hear people say, well, I can't go to school because I don't have the money. And I hear that, and I kind of smile when I hear, th hear that because the Lord has a way of providing and getting us through school even though we don't know how it's going to happen. And uh, April, congratulations on graduating, uh, by the way. Owen. Exactly. What's happening, in my theory anyway, is that if you have HIV AIDS, you don't have the, the white blood cells to fight off infection, especially the neutrophils. Neutrophil counts, typical is 4,500 per cubic millimeter, is it? Centimeter. 4,500 per cubic centimeter, and in the AIDS patient, it can go down to 500. It can go really low. So they don't have the neutrophils to fight off infection. So when they get a little bit of plaque or bacteria down there, these bacteria release toxins, which the body detects, and the body's response is to dilate all the blood vessels so the white blood cells can get in there and the circulation can be better. So when you have an infection, effect, infection is always accompanied by inflammation. And part of that inflammation, correct me if I'm wrong, doctor, is caused by dilation of the blood vessels. So these blood vessels dilate, that's why the gums turn red in part, but there's no white blood cells to fight off infection, so the swelling just gets worse and worse and there's no response. It's like if there was a fire and they called it a fire department and more and more fire trucks come, but there's no water for them to pump. So the trucks are sitting there, all these red fire trucks are there, but there's no water. What do they do? That'd be a terrible thing. That's, that's kind of what happens in, in the body. So I think that we have enormous resources at our disposal. And the experiences that I've been through myself, when I see young people going through trials and difficulties, I have a lot of hope for them because I'm hopeful that somehow, by some miracle, good's going to come from all this. And it's true, you have to go through a lot of hardships. I mean, when I finally decided to go back to dental school, my grades were kind of abysmal, and uh, 
I think I told you before, they, I got, when you apply to dental school, they rank you by your grades. You're number one out of 1,700. Well, I was number 1,700 out of 1,700. <laughs> I was at the bottom of the pile, okay? And I thought, well, there's no way I'll, and so I, I ended up going back to the School of Public Health and get a master's degree to try to get my grades up and to try to prove to them that I wasn't a complete idiot. And I also had to go back to La Sierra for two quarters and take pre-med or pre-dent requirements. So there was kind of a, a delay there between when I first tried to get in and when I got in. But the Lord helped me to get through it. And I did really well at the School of Public Health and I did well at La Sierra. I think I got a 3.7 at La Sierra. And uh, when I graduated from dental school, I was number 12 out of 92 students. So I did a lot better. The Lord, you know, if you're willing to do what he asks you to do, he'll give you the strength to do it. That's not to say there won't be bumps in the road. It took me about two years to get through the, get my grades up and, and look credible. So... But we do have these resources at our disposal. I personally think the secret of being successful is try to find a way to be a blessing to others. Put yourself in a position where you can help others. Don't ask yourself if you're going to be well paid. I mean, when I first became a missionary, uh, we went to St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and I was told by... The vi one of the vice presidents of the general conference that I'd be paid what I was worth. <laughs> that really worried me a lot. <laughs> and uh, we were. We were paid what we were worth. We, they didn't pay us anything. Uh, for I think we went down there for three or four months and we didn't get a penny. It was, it was really hard financially. But the Lord blessed us tremendously um, by that. And so even though there are difficulties, the Lord still has a way of blessing us. And, I mean, I came back from that, and I got offered a job. This was, gosh, 23 years, 22 years ago. And I got offered a job to work per diem at something like, I think it was $45 an hour. That was a lot of money 20 years ago. That'd be like 80 or $100 an hour now which was pretty good for a dentist. I know physicians make, yeah, $45 an hour. And uh, yeah, I was really, really surprised by that. That was a blessing. And I didn't apply for that job. I was sitting at home wondering, what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do? And someone called me up on the phone and said, you know, we hear you just got back from overseas and you're looking for work, would, would you come and help us? It only pays $45 an hour, but you know, would <laughs> yeah, for me. So, so the Lord really blessed. I mean, the Lord has a way of taking care of his own. Um, so I'd encourage you. Now, I think there's two, there's two keys to being successful in this way. One is you have to be looking constantly for ways to be of service to others. And you have to kind of stretch your brain. How can I help? What can I do to help? And one of the things that I've tried to do over the years is when somebody asks me to help, I don't say no. I'll say, sure, I'll try. Like they asked me to be treasurer and I said, 
I cannot even balance my checkbook. Are you sure you want me to do? And they said, yeah, go ahead and try. So I said, I tried. And, and then when I got a job at the dental school, they, someone told me to go talk to Dr. Tom Rogers. I went up to his office and he said, are you a dentist? I said, yes. He goes, do you have a license in California? I said, yeah, I do. And he goes, what do you know about HIV AIDS? And I said, not much. I've had a couple patients. I don't really know very much about it. And he goes, you'll learn. Read this book. You're teaching a class in two days. <laughs> it's like, now, <laughs> do you, you know, I mean, that, that really struck me. It's like, how many times do you go for a job, you apply for a job, and you tell them you don't know anything about it, and they say, well, that's, you know, go ahead. And, uh, and then they, they, they put me down on the main clinic, and normally they have this training that you go through a uh, kind of a mentorship where you follow one of the other doctors around for two weeks to see what they do on the clinic and how the computer, computers are really complicated. So normally they train you for two weeks. Well, when I started on the clinic, um, and I didn't know how to use the computers or anything, the department came, chairman came down to tutor me. He said, um, here's the students, here's the computer. Um, you're a dentist, you'll learn. And he turned around and he walked out. <laughs> and somehow I, I muddled through and we learned how to do everything. And you get through these problems. So I really feel that we, we have these tremendous resources, but there's things that prevent us from, from harvesting these resources. Number one is, is we're not looking for opportunities to be of service. And the other is that we're not grateful when we've been blessed. I occasionally have had, maybe a few times in my life, had, I'll have a patient or a student say, Dr. Trott, you're really good. And I have to say right away, God alone is good. God alone is good. I and myself can do nothing. I think Christ said that. I and myself do nothing. I only say, the words I say are only the words that my Father has told me to say. He does everything because he's been guided and led. And so I've been through some, you know, I think life is a constant ordeal, a constant struggle. Yet I wake up in the morning confident knowing that the Lord is going to guide me through, and it gives me hope and encouragement. And so I, I tend not to get as discouraged as some of the people, even the people I work with. So I'm very grateful for God's blessings, and I'd encourage all of you to find ways to be of service and be thankful for God's blessings. One of the, the greatest gifts that God can give anybody, I believe, is the gift of gratitude. If you're grateful, it says in the Bible, be content with what you have. If you can be grateful for the gifts that God has given you and use them to be a blessing, he will multiply them and he, I believe he will bless you. So I'd encourage every one of you to look for opportunities to be of service and be grateful for the blessings. Look, wake up in the morning and ask yourself, how has God blessed me? What gifts has he given me? How can I use these gifts to be a blessing to others? And he'll 
help you to answer. Do you have a question? No. Exactly. Well, that's a big problem today because in schools today, in public schools, they don't teach young people to be grateful. They teach them to be skeptical, cynical, doubt all things. And that is extremely harmful. If you doubt everything, if you doubt, if a little child doubted that its mother loved the child, the child wouldn't. I mean, you've seen children, they cling to their mothers. They trust their mothers. Trust and gratitude are really important. And if you lose that, if you lose that trust and confidence in God's love, you've lost everything. There's nothing left. You're hopeless. There was a French philosopher, Voltaire was his name. He was an atheist. And when he got old, he said, I have been abandoned by mankind and rejected by God. That's how he described himself when he was old. He was very, very unhappy because he'd proved there was no God and he, he was disloyal to the king and, and I mean, he just, he had no friends and he didn't believe in God's love. He was a really miserable creature in his old age. So we need to learn, something that we need to do as a church, as individuals, is learn how to be grateful, how to be thankful. Now, all of us has, have faults. And I have lots of faults. I'm very good at procrastinating. I'm, you know, I have uh, these other talents that really endear me to my wife, sort of. And, <laughs> and in spite of all these faults, my wife still says, I love you. And, but when she says that, I'm kind of saying to myself, I love you in spite of all your shortcomings. And I think that that is, we need to keep that in mind. We need to be humble. We all have faults. But I think the Lord can help us to overcome them, and we can still be a blessing to others. So I'm hopeful that I, in spite of all my faults, that I can still somehow be a blessing and I can still help other people. And we just have to find ways. So I think our job is in the church is try to be helpful, be grateful. And when you're working with other people, forgive them. As I want, I want God to forgive me for my faults and my sins. And if I want him to forgive me, I have to forgive other people too. I have to forgive. If there's no mercy for others, how can there be mercy for me? So we need to forgive, and we need to have hope in those around us and hope that they're going to do great things. I am confident that each and one, every one of you is going to do great things, and I expect it from you. May God bless you, one and all. Thank you. Let's have a closing prayer. You, you won't. All right. Um, Benjamin, would you have the closing prayer? Why don't you come up and.
lift our hands. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the Sabbath. We want to thank you for the message you've given us through Dr. Charles. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our hope and our trust in you. The psalmist says, hope thou in God. And Lord, we want to place our hope and our trust in you. We ask that you would help us to be of service to those around us, to, to love each other, to love mankind, to, to reach out of our comfort zone and, and be a blessing. Father, thank you for, for being our God and for being with us. For we pray all these things and ask and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.